I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This episode, there is a show on Netflix that was released maybe a couple of months ago at this point. I think it was it was released on Hulu a couple of months ago. And anyway, it's called Ruanji. And right now, I think that only the first five episodes are available, or maybe it's the season. I I don't, I always, it's always interesting how seasons are in different entertainment centers of the world. I think this is season one. And anyway, season one of Ruanji is on Hulu right now. And I watched it. And I want to talk about it. So, um, first things first, thank you so much for listening today. If you're brand new to this show, I'm random. I talk about a single subject, but like, no, that's a lie. I have a focused subject, and then I talk about a bunch of other different things. So, um, and sometimes I meander. So, maybe it's best that you're doing another task while you're listening to this, um, so that. At some point, you know, you'll be well into your task before I actually get to the point. So anyway, also, um, thank you just for listening. Um, you either found this because of the title or you found this because someone forwarded you this episode. However you did it, thank you for clicking on it and listening. Um, I hope you find something entertaining. And if not, I hope you find another show that works for you. Um... Yeah, if you want to rate this show positively, I'm happy with that. Um, at the end of the day, this is a project that I do. This is something that's near and dear to my heart um, because it gives me joy and has done for the past four years. This having a podcast and, and producing episodes every week, good, bad, or ugly, <laughs> um, gives me, it's like an outlet for me. So that you are listening to this passion project of mine um gives me great joy so i appreciate you for spending the time um if you um there's i've I've been doing this for four years so there are a lot of episodes about a lot of different things i mostly talk about movies and books and i should talk about a lot of stuff let's be for real um but anyway and, and baltimore politics um and things happening around baltimore and Yeah, so, but I can't promise you that every episode is going to be like that. Um, But anyway, I just appreciate you for listening. Anyway, the, if you have, if this is not your first episode, you know that I have a typical kind of teenager growing into young adult story in that I lived in one place. I did not like living in that one place. I moved away, I came back home, I moved away for college, came back home after college for a bit, left again, and have been gone ever since. Um, That story, and and in in that story, I think, so one of the things that that, um, may be unusual about my relationship with my parents is that I call them every day. Um, Even though I have been officially gone from home over almost 20 years 
Yeah. No, over to a girl. Almost. Yeah, yeah. Actually, next year will be next year will be um, twenty years. I haven't lived in. I've, I've lived elsewhere, and I moved away from home. Now I did. Like I said, I did come back. Um, for like a couple of months, maybe six months, and then I was gone again after college um, because I knew I couldn't stay. Um, and the weirdest thing happened. It, it was weird to me, but I think it's pretty typical. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I grew up in a small town. Even though I was, I was born in Kansas City and I spent a lot of my life in Kansas City, Missouri, um, we moved just north of Kansas City, Missouri, into this farming town. My parents still live there to this day, and they have a farm, although it's not an active farm anymore. They rent out the land to someone else who uses it for farming. Um, but yeah, because mommy and daddy old, and they want to make money other ways. So, um, and farming is backbreaking work. Um, and, you know, anyway, like the novelty of being a farmer. Like, it, own your own land. Like, have land that you can do whatever you want with, including rent it out for other people to do farming things. But, like, farming is hard work. And I don't think folks truly understand how much hard work it is. Sometimes you lose money. And you put a lot of money in and you just out. Like, case in point, my dad was a small-time cattle farmer for many years. And in cattle farming, you put in... A lot of money like um well 10 years ago it's like $2,500 per cow that you would invest into making sure they had all their shots were up to date they were healthy they were fed well with with nat with not natural food but like not genetically modified seriously genetically modified foods and things like that like pure like when you get for those of you who are meat eaters, when you get um, a steak from the grocery store and then you get a steak from a country butcher, the steaks will taste different. They will. I don't care what anybody says. I'm telling you now, they will taste different. Why? Because those cattle were raised differently. It's the same for chicken. It's the same for, uh, for pigs. It's anything, it, anything that you w could consume on a farm you can get that same thing in the grocery store. And I'm telling you, if you taste both versions, they will taste different for obvious reasons. Everybody knows all of the antibiotics and all of that stuff that folks put in there. And no, I don't care about all the the, the natural or farm-raised, all that the stuff that they say on the packages. When you eat, when you taste the meat from those packages from the store, from, now, and I'm not talking about the butcher's counter. I'm not talking about when you go into the grocery store from the butcher's counter. I'm talking about the stuff that was that was uh, packaged and, and processed in a plant from fill-in-the-blank meatpacking plant. That, that, that product is going to taste different than if you got it from a local butcher, a local farmer, because they're getting their meat... The, the, the butchers are getting their meat from local sources and nine times out of ten those local sources are not going to put a lot of stuff in the product to make it last because that's what they're doing they're putting things in the products when, it, when it's packaged by a big manufacturer to make sure that it lasts in transportation from one side of the country to the next um, 
but they don't do that in local butchers. So anyway, back to, I already meandered, but anyway, so um, one of the reasons why daddy got into um, being a small time cattle farmer is because he had three kids at the home at the time, him and mama, and it was just cheaper to raise and, or at least partner with other small time farmers to feed the family. Like the only thing we really, we grew our own vegetables. So it's not like we really for real had to go to the grocery store to get vegetables. We had them. And we the only time we would buy uh, vegetables for real, like canned vegetables, is if we didn't want to can anything ourselves and we wanted fresh fruits and vegetables or fruits and vegetables uh, in the wintertime, like corn and whatnot. And so we would go to the grocery store to get that. But like by and large in the summertime, no, we would never go buy onions. We would never go buy tomatoes. We we grew them. Okra, we grew it. Um, fill in the blank. We we grew, and and this is black farmers. I'm talking. This is black farmers. So we typically grew things that were that we typically ate. The, about the only thing that we didn't, we never we never grew beans because beans is that's a little that's a bridge too far. But we always knew somebody that not that it's a bridge too far. It's just we didn't we didn't grow beans. Um, but well, except for green beans. We never bought green beans because we always grew them. Um, and if it was a, for the most part, if it was a, we could always get a vegetable or some sort of product that we wanted, like a, not product, but um, unless, unless we didn't have the local country connect, we would go to the grocery store. But by and large, what we wanted, somebody else had, we didn't raise chicken. Um, we knew somebody who did. We wanted eggs. We rarely bought eggs from the grocery store. My parents buy it. Uh, eggs from the grocery store now because it's more convenient for them but I cannot think of a time growing up when my parents bought eggs because we always knew I mean apart from when we were living in Kansas City when we moved out to the country they just they bought eggs from the from the, from the dude that, that grew chicken that grew chicken that raised chicken um yeah like we just had to connect and so when we had an excess and, and again, I apologize for folks who might be offended by talking about um, slaughtering uh, animals, but it was part of, again, the reason why we grew, the re- reason why my, our parents moved us to the country is because they wanted to get out of the city. They wanted, they knew somebody who um, had land um, and a house on that that they were selling. And my parents wanted the freedom of being in the country. Um, and I can appreciate that now being an adult living in the city myself, I love living downtown Baltimore. Love it. But the thing I miss is not being able to see, and this is so, this is so in the clouds for me. And I'm going to just need you to just go with, I understand how ridiculous this is about to sound, right? Like, I know how ridiculous it's about to sound, but it doesn't make it any less true. I miss being able to see the stars at night. I didn't love living in the country because it was too quiet, and I watched too many scary movies. Also, we actually had bobcat, bobcats that lived in the, the caves nearby. So that scared the crap out of me, plus I had an active imagination. Um, I just wanted to live around a bunch of other people because anyway, I'm not going to tell you all of the, the 
wild thoughts that I had as a child growing up. But I was like, this is the worst. What if something happens? If something happens, we're by ourselves. Like, listen, I was an oh, listen. Anyway, but I miss looking out my window of an evening and seeing the stars. I live in downtown Baltimore. You don't see the stars. I, but at this rate, I wouldn't even live in the suburb because it's still a lot of action. Like you're just not, it's a lot of people and uh, it's like this, it's not the country. Like I either live in the city or I live in the country. The thing I miss about living in the country, the only thing I miss about living in the country is being able to see the stars at night. I enjoy big windows, big windows, be honest with you, I never lived in a place where I felt like I needed to close the close the blinds, which tells you something about me. But anyway, um, even now I'm looking out my window and the windows in our place are huge. And I'm looking directly at the sky. Like, it's not the best. Like, I live downtown, so there's lots of buildings. I live downtown, but I do not live on the, on the harbor. We do not have harbor money just yet. Um, or on the harbor money just yet, but we work toward it. Anyway, um, but the I'm looking at the sky and if it were like it's girl, it's overcast right now, so I'm looking at gray, gray blue. Um, um yeah, I'm looking like gray blue sky right now. But um I I I love I enjoy I enjoy gazing up at the sky. And at night, what I see is cloud cover, dark, dark, uh, like uh, midnight blue, and um, commercial planes, commercial planes, and BCPD hel helicopter flying around looking for somebody. That's what I see at night. Like I don't, it's too much light pollution um, downtown to really see the stars like that. Um, and so yeah, I just miss gazing up. Now, mind you, I do not miss the access to things. Um, I don't miss the access to, like, the things that I want to do. I can walk just about anywhere. Like, I've always been able to walk a little bit, but I, I, I can walk to the harbor right now, and I love that. I love the access. I love having access to the harbor and all of that stuff, but I just, that's the one thing I absolutely miss. And anyway, wow, where, take me back. Anyway, so, <laughs> so anyway, long story short, um, parents, small time, small time farmers, and this is how it kind of went. Dad was the farmer, Mama was like the account manager. So she handled all the paperwork and made sure that they were straight on the paperwork. Daddy made sure that they were straight on the farm. And oh my goodness, I strayed far from the topic. Let me get back. So my point was cattle, raising cattle. That was what Daddy wanted to do. And so they, Mom and Dad, managed the farm. We had, we still do. Have, well, we. They have the space, have the land rented out, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it was like, it's, oh, that's what I'm saying. It's expensive to be a farmer. Um, 2,500, what I was saying was 2,500 to raise a cow to, from being a calf up until being at the point at which that they were ready to be processed for consumption. And if, that cow should, an illness should befall that cow, or they just, some some catastrophe happens, they break something and then they become, it's, it's to the point where you need to 
they you need to slaughter them there's certain circumstances where you cannot benefit from slaughtering the animal and so when it's oh here's the thing it's like $2,500 and like two years it's like two years for them to mature so like if something should befall them nearly two years in to you raising them you're just out that money and you're out that time and you have to move on to the next which is why many many cattle farmers or at least many farmers at least where I'm where where my parents live they pull together their and I've shared this before on the show they pull together their resources and especially if farms are near each other they all pitch in to pay veterinarians so when the vet comes out they look at you know farmer A's uh, animals to make sure that they're good farmer B and farmer C all while they're out there because they all three their farms depending this is not always the case obviously you don't always the A B and C farmers don't always have the best relationship sometimes farmer A and farmer B do not get along um and or farmer A and farmer C do not get along um but in the case of my parents they got along with their next door neighbor super well to the point where they pitched both pitched in um, to pay the vet when they would come out and look at all of their cattle because they also grazed their cattle together um, because our property was right there. My parents' property, I, can't, I need to separate because uh, I don't own their property. Um, anyway, yeah, so they, they it was like a, something like a, a collective. Um, they would not, they would never in a million years use those terms. But folks love to think of people being collectives in a, like a modern sense or in like a, 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 a hipster kind of progressive sense. But like farmers been, farmers have been working in collectives since forever because what one doesn't have, the other one do. And so they kind of share. And like I just, I know like I said at the start of this thing, one of the things, I guess I do kind of miss being able to just trade products with, with your friend with your neighbor, with your down the street neighbor, um, without having to go to the grocery store, it's a barter system. I do miss that. Although bartering, I can I do barter with some folks around here. It's just bartering is not a big thing. Um, I don't barter a lot. It's products for uh, yeah. It's it's money for products. Um, but anyway, bartering was huge um, for my family or for my parents and for their friends. And so, yeah, we rarely went to the grocery store. When we did, it was because we were being lazy. We wanted, like, a quick meal. You know what I mean? Um, we wanted to buy a cake instead of making it. Um, stuff like that. We didn't want to make things from scratch. And we didn't want to can something. We didn't want to use stuff. From, we didn't want to can it. Or we didn't want to use up the stuff that we had canned. So, anyway, there are lots of things. There are actually a lot of things. A few things that I miss about living in the country. But I do not miss the access. I do not miss... The excitement of living in the city. I do not miss the connection to so many different, different people. That's the thing. Being connected to different people is the thing that I thrive off the most. So yes, while I do miss looking up at the sky at night and seeing stars. Well, and let me let me be let me be clear. We were living in Northeast Baltimore. It's not like we couldn't see any stars. And certainly, even where we live now, it's not like we can't see any stars. It's just you don't see them as vibrantly as you do if you live in the country 
because of the light pollution. And I don't know why I'm over explaining this, but you get my meaning. Anyway, um, and the, the things that are more prominent are brighter things or things that can shine through the light pollution, which are tend to be flying objects, flying objects, commercial planes and the B, BCPD helicopter. Um, and then brighter stars. You can see brighter stars, but for the most part, you don't see the entire speckle of stars um, in the in the night sky when you're living in a highly well-lit or when well, you're living in cities, dude. Anyway. Um, and there are farmer's markets, but again, it's just, it's cool, but it's not the same. It's cool, but it's not the same. I love all the markets that are here in Baltimore. Don't get me wrong. At some point, I'm going to go to the market at 83, underneath 83, um, because apparently they got the best stuff and the best vendors at the market under 83. Um, but yeah. Anyway, so one of the other things that I experienced, and I didn't start experiencing this, and I don't know if you ever moved away from home and you came back, so two things. Number one, for me, when I moved away, I think it was not college. Coming back to, from college felt like it was, it, it felt like disappointment. It felt like, okay, I'm coming back and I'm jobless. And that's what my focus was. Not that I was coming back home, but that I was coming back home. And it felt like my tail was between my legs because I felt like I was really growing and thriving in college. And then I leave that environment and I come back and I don't really have anything to go to except for my parents in their home and so I that's why I only lasted like six or seven months and then I was gone again when I moved to Syracuse I would still go home um but I, I, I was determined to make it away from home because I wanted to experience that now as it turned out Syracuse was not the place for me to make it from home because it was just not ideal for me and so I moved to Baltimore and then I had another internship. And then at the end of that, I just decided to stay. And then it's when I stayed in Baltimore. And so at that point I was away from home. I had been away from home consistently for like six years, like for the most part with, with holidays here and there. And then obviously that six, seven month period where after I graduated college, but before I moved to Syracuse. But even, but barring that, but even including, actually even including that, that was still like six, six years of predominant, primarily being away from where I spent most of my time growing up. And anyway, so it was in this period, I can't remember, like when I first moved to Baltimore, so maybe during my internship, year, year one of me living, in Baltimore, so that had to be 2008. I went, I can't remember, so I told you, I, I call my parents every day, unless unless something happens, we're busy and the, the day just goes along, I talk to my, so at least one of my parents every day, because that's just one of the ways that we've stayed connected um, and makes the separation. I don't know, it's just, even though we're separated, it doesn't feel like we're separate. Right, like, and 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 when I'm talking, it's just a hey, what's up? Okay, cool, bye. And then we have our life. You know what I mean? Like, we have that connection moment, and then we have our life. Like, I Facetime with my mama, I call my daddy, 
and sometimes we text too. Like we sometimes we're in a group text. So um, my hubby hops in there and, and you know, but that's that's the way we've, because my parents and I were super close. So that's another reason why we just touch base every day. Um, but anyway, and I think it was one of those times where it was a touch base time. And it was one of the longer touch base where it was like a Saturday or something. And we, I wasn't doing anything and whatever parent I was talking to, wasn't doing too many, too much anything anyway, but like sitting on the porch and just drinking spicy tea probably and just chilling, just chilling. And the comment came up that they had run into one of the people that I went to school with and they had gone, they had moved away to California and spent some time in California and they couldn't do it. And they missed being home too much and then they moved back to Missouri. Um, to the small town of Missouri where uh, we live and or where my parents still live. And they made a comment, oh, how's your daughter doing? Um, you know, what's she up to now? And then, you know, you know how parents do. The way that, I think it was my mama? Anyway, I think the way mama described it, she was bragging about the, oh, you know, baby, she's out. Because mom called me baby. Anyway, um, baby, she out there in Baltimore. Um, whoop, 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 whatever, you know, whatever parents do when they brag on you. Anyway, and I'll never forget, my mama said that the next words out of her mouth, the person that my mom was talking to was one of my, anyway, the next thing out of my classmate's mouth was, oh, well, she gonna move back soon because it's just too hard living away. And mama said that kind of incredulous as she, you know, mama, one thing about my mama, my mama is a diplomat. My mama is a diplomat. My daddy is an ambassador. My mama says all the politically correct things, all of the politically correct things, but like she's also going to make sure that the needs are met, that the goal of the interaction is is achieved. Daddy is the one that's just like, oh, well, hold on. Let's just, I mean, at the end of the day, he turns into a diplomat too, but by and large, he's like the ambassador. Hey, come on over, because it's always trying to finesse him, I guess. Anyway, but my mama, she don't do that finesse stuff. She don't really do that. She's she's the, hey, this is what it is. And she, she's, you know, she skins and grins a little bit, but by and large. Anyway, my whole point with saying all of this was, of course, my mama said something passive aggressive, like, oh, well, I don't know, but you know, maybe girl. Anyway, good to see you. Bye now. But of course, she told me because she's shaking. She was like, girl, can you believe what she said? She said, she said that you would, um, you would come home. And, and I said to myself, you don't know my baby. You, you do not know my baby. Mm-mm. But you gonna keep talking. You know, she said something like that. Anyway, um, but yeah, so, um, and I just, that's, that comment sat with me because I think I had mentioned, I know I have mentioned, maybe it was last episode, but it is at some point, the incredible lonely, and maybe I didn't mention it on the show at all, but the reason why that comment struck me as anything is two things. Number one, my parents knew from when I was a child that I was going to live on the East Coast because apparently I had said something and I had said it more than once. And because I am a pretty dedicated person, 
what I say I'm going to do, I eventually find a way to do it unless I lose interest in doing that thing. And so I must have said something strong enough and many and, and many times to where they believed me when I was a child. Because they again, they said from a child, like when I told them that I was going to Syracuse, New York, they were like, well, we knew you was going to get there eventually. And I, I was just, I remember being taken aback by that because the, the next words out of their mouth were like, yeah, you've been talking about moving to the East Coast since you were a kid, since you were a baby. I don't remember doing that, but they do. Anyway, so surprise, surprise, I'm on the East Coast. And anyway, in my mama's comments was like, you don't know my baby. She do what she want to do. And this was what she wanted to do. She's going to be there. But doing what I want to do and being committed to my dream doesn't mean that I was not affected by crippling loneliness at times. I can remember there was a time specifically, I think it was a situation where it was cold and gray in Syracuse. Another reason why I just, that's not a place for me. Even those beautiful up in the bigger lakes of New York. Um, it was a, it was cold and gray and snowy. And I think there was, it was, I had to move out of the house where I was living because everybody was moving out because it was like, I came in on the lease in like mid year. And so like the lease was up in May. And even though I was gonna be in Syracuse only a year in the middle of my year, I had to move. And so I think any other time that wouldn't have been a big deal. It was too easy to find another a place to stay because they had tons of student they had tons of you know how they do in college towns they have houses that they rent out to a bunch of students and it's like too easy to find student housing or housing that caters to students or anybody that's like on an internship and so I there, it wasn't an issue of me finding a new place it was that I had to find a new place and I just started to cry and at first I was just like, it was the transition and I was stressed at work. But no, it was literally because I did not like being where I was. I was lonely. I did share that. I must have shared this a couple of episodes ago because this feels, this train of thought feels familiar. But I was lonely. I didn't really kick it with my coworkers like that. I had no friends. I didn't want to be there. Um, although, anyway, I, did, I didn't want to be there. And so this this incident just drove me over the brink and I started to cry and and so but I got through that moment I moved got through that moment moved in with a roommate who was very slovenly um and uh, I was a little depressed but I was just at this point I was getting through the rest of my internship um so that I could move away and, and do something else because I didn't I knew I was leaving Syracuse. I just didn't know where I was going to go. Um, and at that point, I was still trying to figure out if I wanted to live in D.C. Um, or not. So anyway, but I got through that moment. That must have been, yeah, that must have been May. No, it wasn't May. It was like, it was before, because it was cold, so it had to be like March. Yeah, it had to be like March. Anyway, so I had that moment, but then once I got through it, weather started to get warmer I moved I saw the end in sight because I was going to be ending the internship and I knew I didn't want to stay um so I, I bonked out I left at the end of the term moved to Baltimore 
had the had that separation feeling again. I had more friends now um, because I actually liked the people that I worked with and I was getting involved in the community. I felt like I could really get involved in this community. And so I did one of the very, I think I shared this already, but one of the very first things that I did was I literally started to go around to the cultural things in the community. I found a church, um, connected with folks that were around my age at that church, also vibed with people that I worked with. Um, and began to explore the community. And I think that definitely helped me connect with Baltimore in the very beginning. But I still had that moment where I had, I was, I was homesick. Um, and, but it wasn't as crippling as it was before. It wasn't as crippling as that. And it, but although it did hit around the same time, it was like March moving into April. There was just a period where I was like, feel very, even though I have more, I, I feel like I'm setting roots. I feel separated because I was, I was physically separated from my family, my immediate family. And then I was even, it felt like I was even further away from my people in the South. And then of course I was further away from my people in uh, Texas and California. I was, I was all the way across the country. And then come to find out that I had a cousin um, from Detroit who was living here in Baltimore. And so that helped a little bit. Uh, we connected a couple of times. Um, and I got over that moment. But in terms of, and it was at this point, I think it was when I had already gotten over the homesickness. That's when I had maybe like a month or so after I had the, the low point in my Baltimore low point, not my Syracuse low point but my Baltimore low point, and then I bounced back from that, and I started to feel good about the place, and I think it was at this point where I was like, maybe I'll stick around here, like my, my internship hadn't finished, but I was over that low point, I was up on the upswing, and I was like, maybe I'll stay here, you know what I mean, let's just see how it go, anyway, and that's, at, the, at that point is when I had the conversation with my mama, where she told me, what my old classmate had said, and I can remember in that moment two things, Number one, it was like as bad as I wanted to be on the East Coast and I treat, I achieved this goal. I had just come off of a period of feeling I need to not be here anymore because I felt lonely. And it is hard to, to be away from what you knew and your comfort and to be around nobody that you're familiar with for real. No long-term, no, nobody knows you beyond when they first met you a couple of months ago. Nobody does. Um, except for my cousin. And then we weren't even, like, we met each other many years ago, but it wasn't like that was my, that particular cousin I was super close with. So it's not like I had a system here. Like, she was doing her thing and I was doing mine. And we were just moving in different worlds, too. And so... I just felt in that moment, my mama was selfish. She was super assured. It's like, mm -mm, baby good, baby, baby making her way. Maybe, you know, how parents, at the end of the day, parents want you to just have your own, just succeed and do your own thing and carve out your own corner of the world and then be a good person, be a good citizen. You know what I mean? Be, be good in the community, be good to your neighbors, and, you know, unless your parents are, I don't know who your parents are, but that's what my parents raised me to be civically minded, to be community oriented, um, and to fight 
for fight for your neighbors, fight for fight for your kinfo. Anyway, and protect it, you know, protect it, protect the community. And so anyway, um, you know, in that moment, mommy was bragging about me and encouraging me. I'm thinking back on it now. It's probably as much as I tried to hide my lonely low points. I'm pretty sure they knew. Um, Because again, we touch base every day unless one of us forgets. We touch base or we mad or I'm mad. Um, But yeah, we touch base every day. So I imagine they know the different moods, how I sound when I'm not okay, how I sound when I am. And I don't know if in that moment, mama was trying to encourage me to keep going and to keep building and keep trying to see if, you know, keep trying to forge my own path or, or she was convincing herself. But in that moment, I recognized how hard, it's very hard to move away. It's very hard and, and not easily be able to get back to your comfort, very hard. Very hard to establish new roots, new friends. Um, it takes a lot of energy to do those things. You don't do those. Those things don't just magically happen to you. You have to put work and energy into that. Not only that, but then you have to cultivate it. Like you have to put in work and energy to do it, and then you have to cultivate it. And so when you create this world, then you have to figure out, okay, well, where does, now that I've created this new world, where does my old world fit into it? And for me, my old world does not fit into it at all. Not much at all. I talked to a couple of people from when I went to, from when I was in school, um, even from when I was in school in college and from when I was in, in uh, high school, only a handful of people. Um, and I have no desire to move back to Chaos City or the farming community where my parents moved us. Um, because I, my life is here now. Um, and, and even so, like at some point, my Hubby has indicated over several years, off and on, he's not, there's no sense of urgency now, but at some point we will move away from Baltimore or maybe we will, depending on how we set things up, we will have a place in the country, well outside of Baltimore, either in Maryland or in one of the Carolinas. Um, Because at the end of the day, although Hubby is a city boy through and through, um, he do like his quiet. He do love to sit on the porch and do nothing. Um, or the least enjoy the peace and quiet of nothingness. Well, peace and quiet. Anyway, because that's not nothingness. It's just peace. It's just stillness. Anyway, um, boring, boring, boring. Anyway, so I don't know. And but this—that's my story. That's not everyone's story, but that's my story. That. Although it's it's probably true for a lot of people, it's hard for you to, you, you can never truly go home again. For some people, and I'm one of those people, I can go home and visit, but going home to stay is not something that's on my radar. Um, not even a little bit. But I do love going and hanging out with my parents and seeing a few people that I went to school with, just a few, just a handful. Um, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm never going home again, for real, in that sense that I would ever move back. But for the uh, for the series that I watched uh, that I'm going to talk about today, the lead character has to go back, is led spiritually, I believe spiritually led to go back.
So I am not 100% sure what was happening with my audio for the first 40 minutes <laughs> of this thing. Um, but apparently, actually, I do know um, some of my equipment caught my voice. It <laughs> caught my voice that was uh, near me. But the device that I'm recording from, it's like the 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 headphones, I guess. Or, yeah, yeah, it was like a microphone um, that was near me took control of, I don't know. Anyway, another device caught my sound and my um, microphone or caught my microphone um, before the device that I was actually trying to record from, which is why it probably sounds like I was next to the mic, but not in the mic. Um, so hopefully you could hear it well, and I'm not recording that again. But what I wanted to say um, is something like my, my uh, in an intro to this show, um, this story is universal, but how we get to the story isn't. We, in this show, we hear, it's a New Zealand, it's a show out of New Zealand, which the only thing that I've, watched out of New Zealand that I knew about was Lord of the Rings. And that was just because it was filmed in New Zealand. Um, so this will, I think this will be my first television show that has come out of the country. Um, and so I think I'm intrigued by this for a number of different reasons. First, I read that all of the trans actors that are in this show are all of the actors that play, that portray trans characters are actually trans. And let me just stop. This is a show, this, this story, Ranji, follows a trans man who left home and then had to come back, right? I didn't, I don't know why I didn't say that before. Um, but anyway, and so as, so there are, there are, there are other trans characters in the show, but it's not about. It, the show is about so many, at least the first five episodes are about so many things. Transness and queerness is a part of the things that it, that the show is about. The show is about, a, it, the show is exactly about what I, at the core of it, it's about a, a, a child coming home reluctantly being pulled spiritually home and struggling with that. Um, yeah, struggling struggling with being pulled home in the first place, struggling with staying. Um, and so, yeah, but the, the thing that I really, I do appreciate, though, that the characters, the trans characters that are portrayed in this show were actually portrayed by trans people. And I, I shudder to even say that, like, I shouldn't even have to say that that's, oh, that's such a big deal. But it is, let's be for real. One of the hottest shows within the last five years was Transparent. Won lots of Golden Globes and Emmys and all of that stuff. But the lead character who was trans was played by a cis white male who ended up having sexual allegations against him. So even... At, and. So Pose, 
number arguably right up there in the without ordering it's what i what i sorry let me be clear what it has hit my radar in terms of media is uh transparent and um pose obviously everybody knows how much i loved pose even with its flaws behind the scenes and on camera i still loved pose for the documenting of history of the ballroom scene, also really coloring what it was really like um, for black and brown, trans and queer folks in the, excuse me, during the height of the AIDS epidemic, trying to survive, creating family, um, and not even trying to survive, but thriving, right? So I won't say that there are any huge problems with that, other than some of the behind the scenes stuff, which I mean, arguably, you know, I won't even, other than the behind the scenes stuff, right? Because we can point out a few things with the producer or some producer, writer, and a couple of the actors. But um, where was I going with that? At least the characters that were portraying trans characters were actually trans um i'm just blown away by the fact that um transparent was it trans america that movie um none of those oh and what was the one buyers dallas buyers club like yeah like uh, disclosure talked more about that but anyway Flashing forward to Rwandi, I'm just appreciative that the actors who were portraying trans characters on screen were actually, are actually trans people, um, because that matters. And there's, it matters, it matters a lot. I also appreciate that this show is about so much more. Um, not that it doesn't have to specifically focus on transness, because quite frankly, there's not a lot of that representation on TV, but I do appreciate though that there's just so there's a lot here for everybody there's a lot here you don't have to be queer you don't have to be trans to get this show to identify with the with the child who's coming back home because in a lot of ways the child that's coming back home is a lot like um because this is what I didn't say the the my school friend who reached out to my mama and was talking about coming home and all of that stuff she actually did have to go home because her parents were having health issues um and so yeah so one of the so one of the reasons why she came home was quite frankly to be near her her parents at some very critical very hard times and I actually think one of her parents I think um yeah one of her parents um, had a very huge medical emergency. And I think after a couple of years of her moving back, he actually succumbed to those medical um, concerns. And and so, yeah, so sure, there was a little bit of projecting in her, in her comment to my mama, but like she absolutely needed to go back. And what sort of turmoil was she going through? She was coming from California. Um... So anyway, but I don't, I don't know her story, but this story, the story of Rwanji um, and Kaz is the lead character. And 
that story is interesting to me. So, um, and the overall message of the show is interesting. Now, let me just go ahead and say, this is melodramatic. There are some very high melodrama moments in this series, but overall, it's really, it's good acting, decent acting, um, and good storytelling, I believe. So anyway, um, and some good camera, camera tricks, although I don't, I confess I don't know too much about like camera working and all of that stuff. It just feels like uh, the cinematography on this thing. Um, somebody loves what they do. So anyway, um, and if I remember, I'll explain. No, I'm thinking of one scene in particular that really made the way it was shot. The director and the photographer or the photographer, the director, and the cinematographer um, and the actor, they were in tune. And when you see those three entities in tune, you 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 get magic. And so anyway, if I remember, I'm going to talk about that scene because I, I remember right now. So anyway, um, all right. But in the next segment, it's all about Ruanji. First five episodes. Obviously, I'm going to start uh, for those of you who haven't listened to the show before. I'm going to start with the particulars um, who stars in it, its reception, um, it being acquired by Hulu and how I was able to watch it. Um and all the particulars that I can get um, from Hulu and then go into the story itself. And I may not, I, I'm, I'm going to be linear, but I don't know that I'm going to dip. I might dip into each episode instead of talking about all of them in totality. I also might change my mind. Anyway, um, all right. So in the next segment, it's all about Ruanji. Okay, so I'm going to try to keep this thing straight. Um, So Rwanji itself is a series, right? And it was released in New Zealand um, July 26, 2020. Um, But it was picked up by Hulu for viewing um, in March of 2021. Um, probably that had something to do with, you know, COVID and all of that stuff. Anyway, um, so it stars, it's, um, it's a, as I'm reading what it's, how it's described, it's a New Zealand LGBT related, although this is LTBQ. All right, I'm, I'm not going to grapple with the terminology because I'm not a part of the community. So I'm just going to read what it says. Um, it's an L, uh, it's a New Zealand LGBT related uh, independent. But isn't if you drop the G LGBTQ LGBT LGBTQ uh, related independent drama film by and to see that says film. So I don't was it shown in totality in the theaters? How, what would that be like? Could you imagine watching a series in the theater? Like, was it, were there intermissions? Oh, excuse me, there had to have been intermissions because each episode is like 30 minutes long. 20 is, and more than that, probably. Anyway, it wasn't like, a, it's not a 10 minute thingy. It's, each episode isn't 10 minutes. It's like 20, 30 minutes, the normal amount of time for for like a, like a, 
drama or as sitcom, whatever. Anyway, um, but it was uh, directed by Max Curie. Um, it is queer and trans positive. Uh, so directed by Max Curie, written by Cole Myers and Oliver Page. Um, it stars, I don't know any of these people, P.S. Um, <clears throat> it was produced by Craig Gainsborough, Warring. It stars Els Karad as, Els Karad as Kaz. Um, Arlo Green as Jem, J-E-M. Um, Kirk Tolerance, or excuse me, Kirk Torrance as Gerald Davis. So, Jem, who the heck is Jem? Hold on. Because I got to get this straight. Oh, oh, I know who Jem was. Um, okay, so Els Karad is Cass Davis, the, the, the lead character, the person, the person who left home to be themselves and then came back for... Uh, for family Arlo Green as Jim I don't know why he's listed second because he's not really like the second person that's kind of wild but anyway Arlo Green as Jim Jim plays Kaz's love interest before Kaz transitioned um and actually even came out as a trans man um Kirk Torrance as Gerald Davis which is Kaz's dad um I'll I'll Alhina Rose Ashby is Anahera. Anahera is, I believe, Kaz's best friend and the first person in their hometown that uh, they come out to because they were best friends in school. So it stands to reason. Um, yeah, yeah. Anahera. Anahera I, I'm sure I'm saying her name wrong, but Anahera. Um, is uh, Kaz's best friend, who's the first person that Kaz comes out to, um, <clears throat> and some other people too. Um, okay, so it is in the, it's 87 minutes running time, which again, I wonder, they had to have like, or intermissions or something like that. I would, I'd be curious, because this, I told you, this is five episodes. So maybe it's just how it was cut. But the thing is, 87 minutes, runtime, 87 minutes, released July 26, 2020, um, distributed by The Yellow Affair, which I got to be honest with you, it took me a minute, took me a minute to get over that name because it sounds like a slur, Um, but it also sounds like it's maybe, uh, it's not that deep. Anyway, but for me, it read like a slur. Um... Like I said, it's it's a new a product of New Zealand. Um, the languages, which I think are awesome, and another reason why I'm completely drawn to the show because it's in English and Maori. Um, because it is, uh, in addition to telling a trans story, in addition to highlighting the nuance and and the space that is being fluid of someone who's sexually fluid because it definitely it in in um jem j-e-m it um explores that storyline so kaz kaz is exploring the the trans person that moved away to be their authentic self and was pulled back 
spiritually pulled back home to to be their authentic self back home and to mend relationships that that needed mending or were worth mending, growing new relationships and also advocating um, for environmental um, environmental uh, uh, what do you call it? Fairness, I guess. Um, and just better practices. Um, but I'll get into that later. And then Jem, who was a love interest and in love dated, I guess, um, Kaz before they were, um, out as a trans man, um, and is still grappling, grappling with the feelings of attraction to Kaz now that they are living their true selves and totally afraid to live. Uh, Jem is totally afraid to live his own self. Um, and then you have Gerald Davis in Kaz's father, who is just grappling with the fact that their kid left for 10 years and a whole lot of life happened in 10 years and they haired, hide no hair of their kid. And then also grappling with the idea that the truth that the kid left because the kid felt like they wouldn't, they couldn't be themselves, that he as a parent would not allow, have allowed him to be himself and grappling with the understanding that, yeah, you're probably right. So anyway, so, um, and then, um, Awani Rose Ashby, Ahwini, Ahini, Ahini Rose Ashby, um, plays Anahara, who is a, a lesbian woman living in a small town, basically feeling like she's been treated as a pariah. Um, and again, all of these stories make up the quilt that is this fantastic bigger story um, about just like any good TV show does. It, it pulls in multiple, it pulls in multiple um, stories to make up a, like a wonderful, delicious gumbo of a TV show, basically, even though it's melodramatic. Okay. So anyway, but, but my point was, I, I got off topic. Um, it's in English and Maori because, um, Jim and Anahara are, um, Maori. They're, uh, is that the way you say it? Is that the way you say it? Maori is the language, but is, uh, yeah, Maori. So they're Maori. They're part of the Maori. They are Maori. How would you say that in a sentence, girl? spoken by the Maori people. So they're Maori New Zealanders. Is that how you say it? They're indigenous. They're indigenous. They're indigenous New Zealanders who speak Maori. I don't, I don't know. Um, that's probably the way I'm going to call it anyway. Um, and so, yeah, which I think is a big deal for me only because I don't know a lot about the Maori people. I only know a little bit about what I've seen in TV, a little bit what I've seen in film. And then on YouTube, I followed a couple of people who talk about Maori people in reverence from, did I say they were from New Zealand? Yeah. Anyway, they're from New Zealand. They call themselves Kiwi. I think that's like the equivalent of, of calling a person from the United States an American. Um, Ooh, I'm ignorant. Anyway, um, I just don't know enough. I need to know more. Anyway, um, but yeah, so 
I've listened to, I've seen videos from other Kiwis, but they weren't Maori. Um, so that doesn't count. So I just need to find more Maori YouTubers um, to learn from. But anyway, or to just hear more of their stories. Um, anyway, but yeah, so the, because this thing was uh, sub- uh, released in the box office, it grossed 11624 which is probably exactly why um, Hulu acquired it because it wasn't making any money in the theaters. Um, cause that seems like, seems like it's not recouping whatever its budget was. seems like 11,000 was not what its budget was. Feels good that it was, that's their budget was bigger than that. Oh, excuse me. Anyway. All right. So, um, All right, so let me just give you the synopsis for realsies, and then I'll go into it. Um, okay, so Cass Davis left left his home in a small town, in the small town of Varangi, abandoning everyone, and moved to Auckland. Oh, I didn't know he was in Auckland. Um, moved to Auckland to start his new life, where he transitions. Later, late years later, he returns to the town where he grew up for the first time as an out trans man. He now he now must face the people who. He abandoned and start to rebuild those relationships, which is what I've already said. His father is upset with him for missing his mother's funeral. That's something I forgot to tell you. In the 10 years that Kaz was gone, his mother died. Now, what did we learn? If you aren't, if you're not uh, close with a trans person, if you are not intimately aware of some trans stories look at pose pose isn't perfect but pose pose tells you a lot um i think uh yeah pose tells you a lot in terms of the struggles that i mean let's be for real if you're using your your common sense we know that a lot of trans people leave their families in order to be their authentic self right so one of the so kaz left home for for a decade because it felt like it couldn't be his authentic self. And then later in the series, we learned that um, it was so bad that he had committed, he had considered taking his own life um, so that he could be free of the torment that he was living in and not able, not being able to be himself at home. And part of that torment was his mother's insistence on feminizing him. Um, because what do we? What have we learned from shows like Pose and even listening to Marsha's Plate um, and some of the the, the trans uh, trans or queer folks that have come on the show? What we've heard is that sometimes parents, for, uh, first off, all the times, parents know you better than you know yourself. Parents see what you're going through before you go through it, and it's up to them to decide how they're going to respond. What we know is that a lot of family members seeing their child exhibit what they consider to be traits that are opposite of what they want their child to be. So for instance, a little what a little girl, they perceive that little girl's actions to be more masculine, so they make sure that they put pretty bows on them and 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 you know 
pretty dresses, frilly dresses, stop them from playing, um, could. I'm not saying this always happens, but what we've heard in trans stories is a person that feels and believes in their bones that they're a trans man, when they began to exhibit more masculine behaviors, when they were perceived as and living as a girl or young woman, the family, and it's usually actually a girl, the fa- somebody in their immediate family, either their parent or someone in their extended family, aunt, what have you, always tries to correct the behavior. And so we get the sense that Kaz's relationship with his mom was very similar, that um, that his mother tried to correct his masculine behavior to keep Kaz being living as the little girl that she wanted her to be, wanted him to be. And so anyway, so part of, so Kaz left for 10 years and in that 10 years, unfortunately his mother um, developed an illness and succumbed to that illness in those 10 years. And that's part of uh, his father's pain, uh, Gerald's. Excuse me, I keep yawning and I apologize for that, but that's part of Gerald's pain that you were gone and your mother died. And what we learned very quickly is Kaz didn't come back for the funeral. Anyway, so... But yeah, let me get back to the synopsis. So his father's upset with him for missing his mother's funeral and is also trying to process his transition from being his daughter to now being a trans man. Anahara, his best friend growing up, who is now trying to reconnect with her Maori heritage. There's that, that's, there is that storyline there. I didn't mention that before, but there is that storyline. Is also confused and hurt by his sudden decision to leave without saying goodbye. Which... We'll circle back around to that later. Um, Because it feels like... Like everybody's entitled to their pain. But like if you were... If you're Kaz's best friend, you know Kaz was unhappy. But you could still be hurt by the the abrupt departure. And then the no communication for a decade. Um, And I also think the story, the the piece that I think is the most cinematography, the photography, or at least, let me just back up, I'm getting excited. The scene that I find most beautiful actually... Uh, it's uh, it's on a hair it's an on a hair scene um and it's about her reconnecting with her maori, maori heritage um but i'll go back to that in a little bit so when he finally faces when kaz finally faces his ex-boyfriend jim who had already made life plans for the two of them to be together i, I guess i missed that part um who had already made life plans for the two of them to be together, he must explain his reasons for leaving him. Meanwhile, Jim is questioning his uncertain feelings because he's still attracted to Kaz, which is that that fluid, gender fluid. What is that gender fluid? Yeah, it is. It not not him being gender fluid, but sexual sexually fluid. Um, which is I don't think a le- a term that they use in the show, but it's what I associate with Jim's feelings about Kaz. 
um, because he's still attracted to Cass, but unsure if it's old feelings coming to the surface or whether he is now attracted to Kaz's masculinity. Yeah, so anyway, so let me just let me just do it this way. Okay, so let me go episode by episode and I'm just going to dip in. So in the very beginning, the show does something very clever. Not very clever. It, show, it does something very great where we're introduced to Kaz. And being introduced to Kaz... Um, Kaz's it's at night and it's clear that he's doing some sort of not graffiti. Excuse me. He's not doing some, some graffiti, but he's plastering up some messaging. Basically what we, what we learn very quickly is, and this is, Oh, this is something beautiful, which is, is one of the reasons why I'm drawn to Marsha's plate because Everybody on Marsha's plate is trans, right? There's one trans man and two trans women on Marsha's plate. I'm going to tell you why that's significant for me in a moment. Or or there's a significance to their dynamic that is important to me, that I enjoy hearing in a moment. But let me go back to Kaz in Ruanji. So Kaz is plastering up positive messaging about trans women um, because it's clear He's, it's, he's out with some other folks. And at the very beginning, you don't quite, sh- you're not a hundred percent sure who these people are, but you get the sense that they're all plastering up the same positive messages about trans women, something to the effect of, and I might be confusing this a little bit, but basically they're correcting messaging that is negative against trans women. So uh, the typical response is trans women are not women, right? That's a turf battle, right? Something that turfs. God, I am so glad that I was delivered from being a turf because I'm going to be honest with you. There was a moment where I did not acknowledge trans women as being women. And I didn't think anything was wrong with it. That was the scary part. I didn't think I was being... I didn't think I was being a jerk. I didn't think I was I was totally nullifying someone's experience. I didn't think that. I thought it was just like, well, biologically, girl, you not. Like, physically, you may be, but like biologically, you still a dude. And and I, I it was rooted, I'm gonna be honest with you. What's the old girl's name? Um Dang, uh J that JK Rowling and what's the black woman? The black woman, um, oh, I had a book of hers. And girl, she do ooh, she disappointed. Oh, I cannot remember her name, and maybe it's it's better that I can't remember her name, but she's a author. She's a feminist author who is a turf. And she and JK Rowling are probably having lunch, and I hope they get paper cuts in between their fingers and toes. But anyway, um, I thought like them. But I didn't think they were, it's not like I had strong feelings about it. It's just, I fundamentally at my core didn't believe that trans women were women. Took me, it took me, not that I even knew at the time, I don't think I even knew any trans women. I knew a trans, I knew one trans man who I knew before transition and who I was all gung-ho about supporting and being close to as they transitioned into their manhood. I just, it just, I'm so ashamed to admit, but I'm, I'm sharing it because I want to help somebody else. I was totally fine with 
accepting them and, and, and how they identified because I recognized that they were closeted before that they had always felt like that. And when I met them, it wasn't a stretch for me that they identified as male. It wasn't a stretch because I, I saw, I, I, I felt that they were uncomfortable in how they were presenting pre-transition. And I was happy for them because they were visibly to their core happy after they transitioned and were totally open. And they were they were out and and they had they had um, joined trans rights organizations. Well, not just trans right. It was LGBTQ uh, rights organizations. One of the biggest here in Baltimore, like or one of the most influential here in Baltimore, or the most influential. Let's be for real. Here in Baltimore, they were on their board, and I'm like, and they're super smart. Not that. You have to be super smart, be dumb as a box of rocks, but still be happy for them in their in their transition walking into themselves. They were genuinely happy. I acknowledge that for what it is. I didn't have a problem accepting that, but for some reason, and I still to this day cannot figure out why, other than perhaps somehow, somehow or another, I felt threatened in some way, which is very weird. Threatened in my womanhood? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, doesn't matter. I had issues. I was a turf at one point and thank God I was delivered from being a turf. Um, because at the end of the day, if I can accept that my friend transitioned and felt totally themselves and I accepted that to be true, I accepted not that I needed to accept them for who they were, but I, I acknowledged that they were truly happy now. I I can I can do the same for a person who presented as male but then transitioned and is now fully functional and happy as a trans woman. I can be happy. I can do that too. I just don't know why. I don't know why. And at this point it's not even worth a diagnosis. It's just I I'm here now recognizing trans women for the women they are. Um, and, and being able to move on, but getting back to Kaz, Kaz is as a trans man, putting up an image, putting up a positive message, not about his own existence, but about the existence of someone else, which I find very responsible. And I, it's not, it shouldn't be novel. It should just, it's, that should be, that's base level. That's like one-on-one level, right? But that's what I love about I love seeing that in um, Z. Z is uh, one third of Marshall's plate. So it's Z, Mia, and Diamond. Z is, Zaire is uh, a trans man. And, and as a trans man, Zaire, how can I, how can I, Zaire is responsible. So Zaire doesn't do this. I'm getting to the bottom of it. Zaire doesn't do this weird thing where he doesn't acknowledge that there's still some privilege that he is afforded in being a trans man. Zaire acknowledges that there is a privilege. Zaire also acknowledges that while trans men are, especially in the United States, trans men 
are attacked in hate crimes. Trans women are attacked more often, specifically black trans women. Let me let me just say that this is a black trans. I think I've said it. I said it at the start of the episode, but Marshall's Plate is a black trans uh, podcast or, or black trans. I meant to put emphasis on black instead of trans black black American trans podcast, right? So their perspective is going to be from the black American experience and in black in in the United States, black trans women, trans women of color, but specifically black trans women have been disproportionately victimized and their lives have been taken that we know about in the last five years. It's, it's felt like, uh, an epidemic um, because it just popped. It's just, you keep hearing about it. There have been two um, untimely, no, there have been two trans murders in the last two years right here in Baltimore. And so it hits close to home for me. Um, and so anyway, I appreciate how responsible um how responsible um, Zaire is because even though he's a trans man and he has his own experience on his own ups and downs and fights and struggles, he goes out of his way to make sure that Diamond and Mia have the space to share in the way that makes sense for them about their experience, even taking the time to point out y'all go through a whole lot and I need to, as a trans man, I need to be there for you and elevate your, help elevate your voice. And so I loved the same reason why I'm drawn to Marsha's Plate and the responsibility, like the how responsible they are with, now mind you, sometimes they're, I don't always agree with their point of view and I don't always agree with their approach to race and class, especially class, that class piece. And some, some of the conversations about religion, um, lack nuance for me but I love the show because it it just I appreciate I appreciate the show a lot and I I listen to them all the time um and so immediately in the very first episode I'm introduced to Kaz being a responsible man even in his transness recognizing that I need to advocate for something of someone other than me other than me and my experience I need to advocate for trans women, which is what he was doing. And I, pre- I appreciate seeing that. I appreciate, I, I don't know. And maybe, maybe that's kind of me having a low bar for men, trans or cis, who advocate for women, trans or cis. Maybe that's a flaw in me because that should be like de facto, but like it's not. And I honor that. I honor, I honor you doing what you're supposed to be doing. And maybe I shouldn't, but again, I recognize maybe I shouldn't give that too much, but I, it, I enjoy seeing it. I enjoy seeing it. And so I saw it here and I forgot the name of the, the organization he's with, but we learned very quickly in the first episode that he's a part of a tra- uh, a queer activist group. I actually, I think it's a trans activist group, but anyway, and they were, they were cleaning up negative messages like billboards that some clearly anti-trans people put up, right? Spent money on being hateful. Um, But let's be for real. There is uh, somebody in Western Maryland. I think it's Frederick County out here. 
um, who spends a lot of money to put up anti-democratic signs. Uh, they spend dollars, honey. And, and even, what is it? A, um, not a backhoe, but like construction, construction equipment to hold up these signs. If you're, if you live in Maryland and you've ever been on 70, um, coming back from, from Frederick County, like from Hagerstown or from, uh, Frederick, you have seen that piece of equipment. Um, yeah, yeah, it's 70, it's 70 West. No, no, no. 70 East It's eastbound. You're going eastbound on 70. You have seen that machinery at some point. You probably just, it's before, yeah, it's in, it's, um, Frederick. Yeah, it's outside, just outside of Frederick when you're going 70 East. You know what I'm talking about. And that they're, because it, it, some weird libtards or whatever, some derogatory message against somebody's political affiliation is up there always, right? Um, anyway, but they're paying money for that. And so, anyway, in the show, Somebody paid money to be hateful towards trans women who aren't doing anything to you except existing and their existence is a threat to you somehow. Anyhow, so we see Kaz moving and shaking in the community. We learn very quickly. And let me, I'm going to speed this up because boy, have I spent too much time. Anyway, um, but we learn that Kaz is a, a heavy duty mover and shaker in this community, in the community, in the trans community in Auck- Auckland, but also in the organization, like it's somebody, he's somebody that people look up to, um, because of his fearlessness. The same time Kaz is in a relationship with a, what we call soccer player in the United States, uh, or is a rugby player, which is rugby. Rugby is rugby is rugby all over the place. I think he's a rugby player. Um, and anyway, Kaz is having a relationship, a secret relationship with a rugby player. Um, and yeah, and it looks like they're in love, but the rugby player is married with, uh, yeah, the rugby player is married. Um, and the rugby player is Maori. Um, and so, yeah, so they're having this secret relationship. He's out there. He's, he's proud. He's like moving and shaking the community. He's being a huge advocate. Somebody you look up to, he's young. Um, somebody who's a real champion in the community and then something happens and I never get, rev- we, I don't think we ever get rev- resolution about what happened, but the rugby player boyfriend dies. Um, and Kaz spins out in grief and is also harassed by the rugby player's wife, which I want to be fair to her. Finding out that your husband cheated on you, period, is devastating. That your husband had a secret life is devastating. I've talked before about folks that were close to my family, men who were close to my family. This is like a thing. I'm not, this is not a thing just in the black community. This is what men the world over have chosen to do, which is there's a man close to my family that had a whole second family. He had two. He had his wife and kids, and then he had his 
um, mistress and kids. And he purported to take care of both households. And my thing is, I just don't know how you could possibly take care of both. Both households are suffering, even if your wife and kids are getting your money or the bulk of your money. They're suffering from your absence all the time, especially when they need you. And the the quote unquote side family, they're suffering from your absence and they're also suffering from your lack of funds. So what are you doing that for? Just anyway. But anyway, so this, let's be for real. This football player, too scared to live his authentic life and still be a football player because obvious or a rugby player because obviously of the ridicule that he would receive, which is real. But because of that, you hide Kaz and your relationship with Kaz and you hide it from your wife. You're not truthful with your wife. And so now you leave in your wake uh, uh, two people who are heartbroken at your death and now you got one in your wife going after your secret lover. And, and the secret lover is now binging into, is binging alcohol, abusing alcohol. And so that's where the episode goes. The first episode ends with basically Kaz mourning the loss of his boyfriend, being harassed by his boyfriend's wife who's now pregnant and unfortunately the child is now fatherless because father has passed away we don't know what happened my assumption was that that somehow or another he was going to be exposed and so maybe he took his own life we don't know um but anyway the football the the rugby player is not in the picture Kaz is deeply troubled and is, is now abusing alcohol, being harassed by the rugby player's wife and is still expected to lead and be a champion in the community. Um, and so at the end of the episode, unless I'm bleeding into episode two, no, no. At the end of the episode, he's Kaz is supposed to give this speech and to really empower trans people who are stepping into their trans power, their transness for the first time. And he's supposed to be giving this rah, 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 you know, I went through a hard period, but now I'm living my authentic self and you could live that too, you know, giving them hope. But he's in no emotional or spiritual shape to give anybody any hope because he's feeling hopeless in this moment. And so of course he he gets up and does a speech after having downed a bottle of some clear liquid, I can only assume is vodka. So he goes up there and he's drunk. He's late. He's drunk. And he just does a terrible speech. He's not empowering at all. And he leaves and then he gets behind the wheel and it continues to drink, which we should probably talk about the fact that drinking and driving is not a good idea. Um, and you could kill someone, even yourself. Um, and then the end of the episode, of course, he's super drunk passes out in his car, hits a, hits a road sign, the road sign, he, cause he's been driving all night, um, just trying to run away from his problems. And the road sign that he hits is what? The road sign, uh, welcoming you to Ruanji. And he's like, oh my gosh. And bam, episode one ends with him being in Ruanji city limits away from having escaped Auckland and all the drama from Auckland. He is now in Rwanji. All 
Okay, so let me let me um, speed speed through. So we start the second episode by Kaz realizing that that he's in Rwanji. So the first place he turns up is I think he goes into something like a was it a clothing store? It was a restaurant. It was some sort of shop. And the first person that he runs into and has a significant conversation with uh, is Anahara. And Anahara doesn't know who he is, but of course, Kaz knows who she is. And so they have a reunion. And she she's going through her feelings and emotions because when Kaz left a decade ago, he left, and I said this at the, the start of the overview, he left abruptly and didn't tell anybody like he just made a clean break and so she's mad because and Hara's mad because they were friends they were best friends um who knew each other's intimate secrets um and so she's angry but then she is instantly also accepting of Kaz and his true self and she's coming to terms. She actually comes to terms quicker than most or quicker, pretty quickly, I would say, um, as to why Kaz did what he had, he thought he had to do. And so, so we have this reunion and Kaz is in town. And oh, by the way, Kaz is going to be here for a week or so because when crashes his car into the post, there's damage, damage enough that there needs to be Ooh, excuse me, and then it goes my jaw cracking. Anyway, there needs to be parts replaced and blah, blah, blah. And of course, those parts aren't in town um, or aren't on hand, so they got to wait. So anyway, so Anahara offers up her place for Kaz to bed down and stay all the while pushing Kaz to go see his father. And... Um, I might be getting the order wrong because again I binged it. And like I'm gonna be honest with you. Oh goodness, I shouldn't have started yawning. Um, I got sidetracked, but I think the order of operations here is: meets Anahara, finds a place to stay. Meets uh, Jim is reintroduced to Jim and then there's the moment where Jim is like oh you're not the person that like you are the person that I had a relationship with and now you're back and and there's a weird moment of wondering about acceptance but ultimately accept uh, there is acceptance but the reason why there's weirdness we come to know later is because Jim himself is sexually fluid, not gender fluid, but sexually fluid. And so I guess that's the best way to describe it because, because Kaz is, Kaz is a trans man. And one of the things that Jim says was even when we were dating and you were not out, you weren't the most feminine person, as evidenced by Kaz's mom trying to feminize Kaz 
before he transitioned. And so, I guess that's not sexual, is it? No, he. So it maybe Jim is just attracted to uh, attracted to. Um, I can't even say masculinity because I don't know. Just it's sexually fluid. I'm just going to go with sexually fluid because I don't want to. Yeah, sexually fluid because that's what that is. It's the Jim. Uh, even even at the end of the five episodes, Jim hasn't put a label on. Kaz is trying to get him to put a label on his attraction. Jim's attraction, because again, Kaz is a trans man. And so Kaz is like, well, you like dudes, so you're gay. And Kaz is like, or, or uh, Jim is like, well, no, I like you. But he definitely identifies as queer. And so there's... I'm sure there's going to be, if this was the, if five episodes was a season, then in season two, there's going to be an exploration of Jim's coming out in the community. And anyway, so there's that, there's that piece. And then there's a reunion with, shoot, did I already forget Kaz's daddy's name? Dag, now I got to look it up because I already forgot um hold on and I just oh uh hold on hold on hold on um because it's important because Jim wants wants Kaz to go see his father and there's time it's time because there's the, the story projects forward because at first it's just Kaz going home stuck at home because his car's broke and he's waiting for parts the mechanic is waiting for parts to fix his car. And then, but for the car being broke, he would be out there again, right? He'd run into Jim or run into Anahara, ran into Jim, had a moment with Jim and could have hightailed it out of there again. Um, but Jim and Anahara, if I'm remembering it correctly, Jim and Anahara are pushing Kaz to go see his father, Gerald. I don't know why I forgot the easiest name and one of the easiest names in the world, but Gerald. Anyway, um, so Kaz, oh, was it the first episode or was it the second episode that, that uh, Anahara goes to a council meeting because there's some sort of environmental mistreatment there's some mistreatment of a nearby plant or manufacturing some sort of organization some sort of manufacturing plant or at the very least uh farming somebody's poisoning the land basically some sort of entity is poisoning the land and so there's a there's a community hearing and I can't remember if it's the first episode or the second but Kaz finds himself at the council meeting with Anahara and by this time, we're we're seeing more of Anna Hare exploring her Maori uh, heritage and trying to learn, not heritage, but uh, trying to learn more of, trying to learn Maori language. And in fact, we know right off the bat when when Anna Hara brings Kaz back to her home, there's uh, post-its all over everything. And on the post-its is the Maori word for what the post-it is on is on so 
There's a post-it on the refrigerator. It's the Maori word for refrigerator. Um, so on and so forth, right? So, um, and I'm going to get to that scene in a minute, but we're Kat, we're introduced to, to Gerald because Kaz accompanies Anahara to a council meeting about basically just making sure the land is taken care of and that there's some sort of ordinance. I cannot remember it. Watch it. I can't call it. But basically, it's a, it, they're fighting for the land. They're fighting to make sure that it's kept well and preserved. Um, not preserved, but like that they're not literally chemical agents are stopped being put into the land and, and poisoning folks, the land and the people that live there. And anyway, so it's Kaz has still not come out. Kaz lived his life in Auckland out and proud, right? But he's not out and proud in um, Rwanji. And as far as he's concerned, the only people that know that Kaz is now Kaz, the person that they knew as someone else is now Kaz, his true self, is Jim and Anahara. And so this council meeting is really his first opportunity for everyone to see him, although he recognizes that he's changed so much that most people won't know who who he is. But still, there's that, that, there's that anxiety about being hidden and now you're going to be seen in the small town where everybody's going to eventually learn more about you, probably before you want to tell them about him, right? So he's getting cold feet, but he's trying to geek himself up basically to go in and who should walk past to get into the meeting, but Gerald, his dad. And so, you know, there's a moment where Gerald acknowledges Kaz's manhood by saying, excuse me, young fella, or something like that. And then Gerald goes on in and he's got his folder and Cass has a little freak out moment like, oh my gosh, he didn't even recognize me. But, and, you know, wow, it's my dad, blah, 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 blah. And Anna Harris like, come on, we, this, the, uh, the, the uh, meetings, hearing, the whatever that is, the, the hearing is, supposed, is about to start. And anyway, Gerald is in to give testimony about, uh, in favor of, well, he's about to give testimony in favor of a recommendation that he's making to help preserve and protect the land and stop whatever negative chemical or toxic chemical that's being pumped into the land. And he uses the rationale for the, for the motion to move the city council to action is because he believes his wife who died of cancer, I believe, contracted the, the illness from as a direct result of what whatever entity was putting in the land because her illness coincided with the the start of them using that whatever that chemical or what have you on the land and it led to her death the illness led to her death and then he uses other examples and then this, the this show turns on its head. It pivots, and now it's a oh, there's an environmental piece that's actually very appealing because it's very real and global too, very global. How many place? How many community activist communities across the globe are rallying against some big corporation who's polluting the land? Who's polluting the land? Absolutely, but also poisoning the people. 
Like that's the that's that's capitalism 101. They don't they make money how you can and you know, get out how you live and and ruin people's lives in the process. That's kind of it. Um it's like a byproduct of it, right? Mass production. Um and so anyway, so blah blah blue and of course, the you know, I guess the the through line here, well, n- not the through line, but um of course this resolution is the right honorable thing to do but of course the the uh council are basically um nitpicking how the motion was brought up and the facts or the uh the germaneness of what Gerald was talking about to the motion that he was trying to put forth, right? So anyway, blah, 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 that ends and Jim and, and uh, Anahara are pushing Cass to go see his daddy. So he finally goes to see his daddy and there's this reunion. And of course it is a bittersweet reunion because the father is, Gerald is angry that first off, Kaz is now Kaz and It's a shock for Gerald. And Kaz is not super sympathetic because Kaz is like, well, you should have known who I was and you should have known what I was going through, which is, it's like, I feel for Kaz. And at the same time, I feel for Gerald because it's so hard to, it's like, it's like I said before, parents, most of the time, by and large, they know they know things about you before you know those things about you. And there's some hard there's a hard conversation that needs to happen, but Gerald is not a place to have that because he's hurt that his kid ran away for 10 years. And any reconciliation he might be ready to have is colored by the fact that in those 10 years, Cass's mother died. And Gerald knew that Kaz knew because Kaz sent a card saying, basically, I'm, I'm, you know, sorry about all of this. So he's, Gerald is not, there's some real reconciliation that needs to happen there, but both parties need to be ready more so Gerald than Kaz. Because after all, what we learn in this interaction is that not this interaction, a later interaction, that uh, we later find out that Kaz was so unhappy living the way he was before he just abruptly left the city that he had tried to take his own life. And it was, it, it is, it, he was so very frustrated that his mother or his father didn't see that that was a cry for help and that, that, he was in a lot of serious pain, which is super valid, super valid. My goodness. It's and super complex to this storyline already. Right. So anyway, so episode two ends with basically Kaz coming out to his father and episode three kind of moves forward and we're seeing more of Anahara exploring, you know, really practicing her Maori 
we see Jim and um, Kaz have more moments and Jim kind of growing accustomed to Kaz being around. Um, is, am I, have I moved on to four? I think I'm blending at this point. I'm going to just stop calling out the episodes cause I, I'm blending. Um, before I move on to talk about Kaz and Gerald and a big major turning point in the show, I do want to point out that as Anahara is practicing her language, one of the most beautiful scenes in the whole series comes up and it shows, and it's just several times that we get this scene from Anahara, but the scene is Anahara is laying in bed. It's morning and she is reciting a greeting. I believe it's a greeting in Maori. And basically, if I'm getting the gist of it right, in introducing herself, she's also introducing her heritage line, which I think is a beautiful thing because when you meet, you meet a person, you don't just meet them; you meet their hair, you meet their the people that came before them, who put in work in one way or the next, put in something to make the person that you are able to enjoy in front of you. And so she's. it's hard for me to it's hard for me to describe the scene so I won't even do it but she's reciting this and she's trying to get it right remember I told you she's learning Mallory and she's perfecting it and if you ever may if you've ever watched the show David show David makes man there's a way that they focus on her just her face and just the side profile of her face and the lighting and it, it the scene feels magical every time especially the last time um, because there's a moment where she gets to recite her name um, in front of a lot of folks, or her greeting in front of a lot of folks. But before I go into that, I want to go back to Kaz and Gerald. So Kaz and Gerald are trying to reconcile. Both of them are really trying. So much so that at one point, Kaz fixes or is attempting to fix Gerald's gutter on the house, a, excuse me, a gutter on the house. And Gerald comes from wherever he's coming. He's not in the house. He's coming from somewhere else. And anyway, he sees that Kaz is doing it wrong and then get into a fight basically because Kaz is really trying and Gerald is really hurt and so the interaction doesn't go well and Kaz leaves and I'm skipping a lot but Kaz leaves and Gerald gets hurt Gerald gets hurt and Anahara and Jim called basically at by this point Kaz's car is fixed he's on the road back to Auckland um and while on the road, um, he pulls over to the side of the road, I guess, because something's wrong with his car. But he flags a, group, a couple down to take him back to, uh, I was about to say Ragnarok, uh, Ruranji, Jiminy Christmas, Ragnarok. I haven't even watched Ragnarok. Anyway, um, because Gerald, uh, because Jim and Anahara have called. Um, Kaz to come back home because Gerald is 
taking a fall and he's not conscious. And so uh, Kaz gets back and gets to his father's uh, medical bed or bedside. And yeah, he, he, Kaz has been sitting there for a grip. And finally, um, Gerald comes out of his coma after some hours and they have an exchange. Uh, Gerald thought that he was going to like stay gone again for 10 years. And Kaz is writing a note and um, Gerald's first words to Kaz were, oh, so you're writing another goodbye note? And Kaz was like, no, no, not totally the opposite. It's an apology note for not being there when you needed me the most when mama died, which is real. Also, it's very real that Gerald, Gerald and his mother needed to be there for Kaz as he was making his transition. And, and in this moment, uh, Gerald acknowledges as much. And so you begin to believe that there's some mending going on. But Gerald has broken his hip. He ain't going nowhere. He's, he's got to stay in the hospital. Now, fast forward, remember I told you that Anna Hara had been practicing her Maori and that she was given an opportunity to um, to share the name. Well, basically, the timing of Gerald's accident was poor because he was meant to go before the city council to put his motion back on the floor to move forward. Um, but he, unfortunately, he's laid up in the hospital. He can't do it. So... Um, Jim and Anna Hara convince Cass to go do it, but Cass doesn't want to do it because he's, again, you can see my face, but you still don't know. The majority of the town don't know who I am. Only dad and you two know who the heck I am. So blah, blah, blah. Long story short, we go to, they go to city council and Cass is like, no, 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 I don't want to do this. And Anna Hara's like, bet I'll do it. So she goes, steps up. And takes the floor and begins to call her name in Maori, and she gets some. She gets validation from a Maori woman who is teaching Maori in the local community, and she gets it from Jim because remember Jim is Maori himself. So they get a special greeting and acknowledgement from community members in the meeting who are are um, who are Maori, but she's saying all of this because she wants to put the motion that uh, of Gerald's motion forward to stop the misuse of the land, the poisoning of the land and the poisoning of the people. But unfortunately, because Anahara is not family, she can't put forth the motion. So surprise, surprise, of course, Kaz has to put up the motion, which also means that he has to, he has to share his relationship with Gerald. And he does but of course, there's bigots, there's bigots on the council, bigots in the room. Uh, um, and and so there's a cringy moment where Kaz's identity is challenged. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that is, it's very cringy too, but it's, it's very true to life. Um, anyway, the show itself, it's again, five episodes. It's not... It's melodramatic and sometimes the acting is not great, but the show itself is good. The story is great too. If this, if it's only five episodes, I cannot wait until season two. And I hope it blows me away because it's the environmental piece. It's the, 
figuring out your sexuality piece. It's the reconciliation, family reconciliation piece and getting over trauma and hurt. Um, there's a lot there for everyone and it's just, it's, it's pleasing me. So anyway, um, you can watch it. If you're in the United States, you can watch it on Hulu. It's Ruanji. Um, and I'm sure if you're outside of the United States, I'm sure you can watch it on Hulu. Um, if you're in New Zealand, you saw this last year. So anyway, um, yeah, but I hope there's a season two. Um, so yeah, I've talked way too much already. This episode is super long, so I think I'll just leave it here. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you are brand new to the show, um, like this show and leave a positive message. Um, I would really, really appreciate that. That would do me some good. This is a hobby of mine just a pet project that I do, but you sharing this episode with people that you think might dig it and you leaving a positive comment on my, um, on any of the platforms, but also I, 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 Apple, I no Apple podcast, the purple app. Anyway, um, that would help expand the reach of this show altogether and on Spotify and on anchor too, but you probably just have Spotify. Um, yeah. So anyway, thank you so, so, so very much. Have spend some time with yourself doing absolutely nothing or meditating or praying, but spend some, make some time for you today, this weekend, whenever, make some time for you because you're important. All right. All right. All right. Um, yeah. And watch this show. Cause I think it's great and you'll think it's great too. Anyway, that's enough about me or that's enough from me. Until next time, take care.